Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors' Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit, and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. You're welcome to Tuesday afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. You know what's coming up. Have you been listening earlier on today? Yes, you do indeed. No need to tell you at this stage. I'll remind you, sure, anyway. Yes, we're talking about Twitter trash a little bit later on. Remember Milo the Robot? He came to visit us in Late Lunch. Well, he's in school today and I join him there. We'll also be talking to uh, Sarah O'Neill. Smile for Sarah. Do you remember that campaign? Young Sarah came to us on Late Lunch about four years ago when she was doing her leaving cert. Well, she's back with me along with her mum, Sharon, this afternoon. This is a great story coming up on the show after two o'clock. And salmon, alien salmon in our rivers. We're going to hear more from Dr. Cahill Gallagher from Inland Fisheries, Ireland. But first today, the abuse of referees is back in the news as a young Kildare soccer ref hangs up his whistle. Harry McCann, he's only 20, he's been refereeing for a while, has had enough after he narrowly avoided being assaulted during a match at the weekend. We're joined on late lunch today by a man who's well known in soccer circles nationally and internationally. He hails from Mornington in County Meath. He's Dr. Errol Sweeney. He's a former national and international soccer referee, a referee coach and mentor, writer and commentator on all matters of the whistle and more besides. Good afternoon, Errol. Afternoon, Jerry. Thank you so much for taking our call. Errol, here we are again, a young lad, 20 years of age, by all accounts doing very well and with a career in refereeing ahead of him and no more. He doesn't want any more of this. Errol, this is not an isolated incident. What's going on with refereeing in soccer? Well, the bottom line, Jerry, is you're right, it's not an isolated incident. This is just the one incident that we hear about. There are several, many, many, many more that are happening all the time. Referees are, you know, they suffer in silence. They get, they get this week in and week out and they just come back for more. Why we do it, sometimes I often wonder. Why I did it for 25 years, I often wonder. But, you know, I could tell you my own stories, but it's not about me, it's about this young man. I mean, I've been threatened, I've been, I got death threats over the phone, I had bullets left in my hotel room, and this is all in South Africa. I was taken out of the, uh, out of stadiums in the boot of a car, another time I was taken out of an armoured personnel carrier. That's in international stuff, and that's in... That happened to me in South Africa. This young man, what's happened to him, is not an isolated incident. I'm glad he's brought it to the fore. Maybe the powers that be at the FAI, who control refereeing, by the way, at the end of the day, refereeing falls under the mother body in in the respective countries. In this country, it's the FAI, and they are responsible. They are responsible for the recruitment and the development and the training of referees. But when it comes to their personal safety, they're found wanting. Daryl, you know, we know this. You're right. Last weekend, that young lad was in Kildare. I'm sure there were referees refereeing in Loud and Mead who came up against the same. And maybe not just in soccer. This happens in Gaelic games as well. Bit more respect in rugby, I think. I'll come on to that in a moment. But let's stick with soccer for a moment. What is it? Is it that 
there's no respect for the man or woman in the middle of the officials. Is, is that basically it? Do people just lose the run of themselves, only see one perspective, their own team's angle on it, their own players, and they don't care? They just let fly? Well, you'd wonder, Gary, because you could, you could apply the same principle to rugby and lesser to Gaelic because referees do get abused in Gaelic, but certainly not as much in rugby. And the, the bottom line is it's the, it's the punishment, if you like, or the, the action that will be taken against offending players. That's the bottom line. Why are soccer not taking stern action against the people who are causing these offences? When I started refereeing way back in the early, early 70s, with the likes of Mickey Bailey and Larry Delaney and Cyril Morley who was in the town and Maliki Grogan and Jim McKenna, all these guys, we started off our lives in the Amateur League in Dublin. Now, you've got the Amateur League, as you know, you've got the Leinster Senior League, Leinster Junior League, and so on and so on. The Amateur League was run by a man called Noel Kennelly, and he ruled that with an iron fist in the sense that any disciplinary issues, uh, issues there were get, um, against players for uh, being abusive to referees, he dealt with them very, very harshly. And it was a well-run league because the players or the participating teams, they knew exactly what to expect if they stepped over the line. Today, abusive referees seem to be just fobbed off as a natural thing. And at the end of the day, it's the referees and the people who look after the referees, including the Irish Soccer Referees Society, they need to get off their backsides and do something about it as well. And Will, something, will more respect be given towards referees? FIFA or UEFA started a thing years ago about respect, respect, mm. respect. Well, you know what I mean, Jerry? Excuse me, but respect my backside because it's not there. It's not happening. And it's the sooner the better that the powers that be, as I said earlier, come out and say to referees, we're going to look after you. You'll have our back. If you send off a guy, we'll deal with it. Look at the man, my namesake, Daniel Sweeney in Mullingar, who was assaulted some months ago. Yeah. The man was left in the hospital. He had a broken eye socket. He had a broken cheekbone. He had a busted nose and was in the hospital for several weeks because two guys, two, ex, two former players, um, two players on the day, confronted him in the car park and beat him up. Hello? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Is there no wake-up call there? And and you you talk about you're talking about they get abuse from players they get abuse from managers uh, team officials on the sideline and the example being said Cal uh, or Errol you only have to look Errol at at uh, the Premier League which is the big league that's watched on television here and see the behaviour of certain players and managers even in the UK in the Premier League that's tolerated absolutely and why is it tolerated. Why are the referees tolerating it? Why are they not doing something about it? Because the clubs control the league. You go back to Sir Alex Ferguson with his famous Alex time and his watch and pointing to time and all that sort of story. What's all that about? And unfortunately, the referees knuckle under to that. Why are they doing that? Their job is to go out and apply the laws of the game and enforce the laws of the game. And if a guy deserves to get a red card, or a manager deserves to get a red card, which they now can. They couldn't in the past. From this season on, managers, coaches uh, can now get red cards. Um, the punishment should be severe. Mm. But it's not severe enough. It's not strong enough. And they, it's almost saying to them, it's OK, referees are there to be the whipping boys. Well, that's nonsense as far as I'm concerned. Absolute I- nonsense. I mean, I was suspended. I was suspended from the referees 
from the League of Ireland way back in 1980 because I sent off four players in Dundalk. They said I was too harsh. Come on, what's yeah. happening? Mm. And now the kids are watching this. Yes. They're going out and they're emulating their heroes. Just now, I write a column, Jerry, for the City Press newspaper in South Africa every week on refereeing. It comes out on a Sunday. And this, my column this week is on an Arsenal coach. I'm talking about Arsenal Football Club in London, the big club, the one and only. One of their, player, one of their coaches, a man called Alex Nickel. this is well reported, so I'm not sort of, there's nothing about uh, divulging information that shouldn't be divulged. He called a, a 14-year-old referee, and I won't repeat the name no. of the words on, on the radio, what he said, but it wasn't very, very nice. And this was, Jerry, listen to this. This was a 14-year-old referee, a female referee, refereeing an under-nine match. Under-nine match. How can you be that, how can you be that passionate about an under-nine match? For God's sake, the kids are just having fun and kicking football. And if they win, great. And if they don't win, so what? But why is it such that a, um, a coach, an adult coach, could find it necessary to insult and abuse an under, a 14-year-old girl who was refereeing the game? I, and that's because he'll get away with it. Yes. He got a three-match ban, and he was fined £300. To me, that is laughable. Yes, I read your column. Uh, I read it this morning uh, because I knew we were going to be talking about this today. And it is shocking. Three match ban and £300 fine for the man. When you talk about under nines and an under 14 girl, again, learning the trade, you know, of refereeing. And I'm sure it's not easy for people to, or sports, to get referees. It's not easy to recruit referees in soccer or Gaelic or, or rugby as well. But come back to this point. Come back to this comparison. Because it's the comparison we should use. Is it solely down to the repercussions and uh, the fines and the discipline in rugby that referees uh, you know, garner such respect from players, officials and supporters? It's, or the lack of, Jerry, Or the lack of the discipline against these people who transgress. They, they, some of them actually are, are, are almost acting with impunity. They think they can say what they like, do what they like and get away with it. And you know what? The sad part for the most part, they do get away with it because the punishment and the sentences are strong enough to send out a message that this kind of behavior will not be tolerated. Refereeing has always suffered from lack of members because who in God's name wants to go out on a Sunday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, and be abused from high heaven by people who don't know what they're talking about, in some cases, intoxicated on the sideline, and they just join in this 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 abuse of the person in the middle who's trying to do the best they can until and unless something is done about it there will there will be a, a shortage of referees it's it's happening now it's been it's always been that way but so long as nothing is done about it these guys will continue to abuse referees and the refereeing fraternity community will continue to lose members like this young man is 20 years of age so he's he's a lot more mature than a 14 year old girl but, and he's a big lad, I saw his photograph. So if he felt that way, well then, what are others thinking? You yes, know, and if you go out, by the way, Jerry, like if you go to any, like the Mead and District League and maybe mm. the lower leagues like that, where you don't have linesmen, you're refereeing on your own. And we did this on our own, in, even in the, in the local summer league, we used to referee on our own. Difficult enough to, to do the offsides and so on. Look at the abuse you're taking. Why are they taking that abuse? because the perpetrators are getting away with it. 
And I'm just thinking as well, why would people of ability or with a passion go into it when it's like this? That's a, another angle. And, but back to this, obviously rugby has it right. Uh, the culture in the game, the respect of the referee, the discipline, the fines, what will happen, the repercussions. But you're saying to me today that the uh, soccer people uh, don't back up the referees. They don't support them. They, the fines are not there. The indiscipline is it really has taken off because of this, Yes. Yes, and it's happening because they see it on television and the, the 9- and 10-year-old kids are now emulating their heroes on television. Look, watching the, the Women's World Cup at the moment is a pleasure because there's none of this ducking and diving and cheating. OK, there's a little bit of dissent here and there, but nothing to the extent that it's happening at, at, at the male level and at a senior level. And fellows are going down for the slightest touch. And what's even worse, Jerry, and here I'm going to condemn my fellow referees, what's even worse is that some of the referees are accepting that if a guy dives and he's got a big grin of, of, of pain on his face and the referee thinks he was uh, fouled and he's giving him a free kick. Why are the referees accepting that? So we are partly to blame for allowing this, this culture of diving and cheating and trying to hoodwink the referee to, to, to prevail because we're not dealing with it. I'm watching the game. You must, if, that, if you heard somebody screaming during a male match, it's probably me because I'm shouting at the referee, for God's sake, can you not see that that wasn't a foul, that the guy dived and, and, and wasn't touched at all? Raheem Sterling, in, in one of the matches for Manchester City, actually tripped himself, and this was highlighted. He tripped himself in the opposition penalty area. The referee, and I can understand why the referee gave it from the angle he was behind the players, gave the penalty. It was never a penalty in a 100 years. But Raheem Sterling, from Manchester City, accepted the penalty and went on to score. Now, is winning that important? And that's a rhetorical question, because yes, it is to them. Mm. Winning is important. And if you have to cheat and to lie and to dive to achieve that win then so be it. Because the problem today, Jerry, is soccer is not a game anymore. Soccer is a business. And it's a hugely lucrative business to some and extremely expensive to others. And that's what the problem is. It's because of all the money involved, they will do whatever they have to do to get that all-important win. But that shouldn't ever excuse behaviour or cheating or, you know, the abuse of a referee or anything like that. And I hear what you're saying. It's time to really clamp down on people and make them pay if, you know, a referee is abused or put in a position of danger. Just before we finish, I want to ask you this because it relates to something you said. VAR and, you know, refereeing decisions and cheats like uh, Sterling, what what, what he did there. Uh, will surely be outed by this. I take it in general you welcome VAR even though there are teething problems. Yes, I do. I think it's a good idea because it's very important in any walk of life that justice is not only done but seen to be done. And the purists now are saying, oh, it's slowing the game down, oh, it takes too long. And I do agree on that point. It does. It is taking too long to arrive at a decision because if, if, I, just bring me brief, if I briefly bring you through the scenario... There's a, there's a goal check or a penalty check or something like that. Now the referee sends it upstairs and they look at it. And then they'll come back and give their opinion. And now he or she then has to run over to a monitor. Why can the referee, when the goal check comes or the penalty check, why can he or she not be looking at the monitor, the same monitor that the guys upstairs are looking at, instead of waiting, then running over and then check? That could take at least another minute 
uh, of the time wasted. That's the only problem I have. But I think it's right because I think it will expose the cheats. Having said that, Jerry, there's only four um, items which referees can look at. One is mistaken identity, uh, an obvious error, a penalty kick, or an offside. Mm. But what about players are diving and cheating? Why can't that be reviewed as well? And if not, I think a lot of the times the referees know the guy is cheating, but it's easier to give a free kick and that sort of calms everything down instead of leaving the guy lying on the ground. And if his team then concedes a goal, then his players will get on to him and say, you were lying on the ground, we know you dived. And I could go on and talk about this all day, Jerry. I'm like a broken record. (laughs) I think they are encouraged. I honestly believe that players are encouraged to dive and to cheat and to hoodwink the referee at every given opportunity by their coaches, by their managers. I honestly do believe that. Just to comment in uh, to let you hear before we say goodbye. Hi, Jerry. We were at an under 12s match on Saturday and the abuse the ref took was terrible. The behaviour of some of the adults in front of the young lads was purely awful. Thank you indeed for that message. I'm sure there are many other messages we'll get like that through the afternoon. Anyway, Errol, thank you for taking time to join us. We hear what you're saying. Back up the referees. Let's have discipline and respect is the word. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Just one final word, Jerry. If more referees did what that young man did, uh, the one we're talking about, yes. if more referees abandoned matches because of the abuse and, and allowed the fixtures to build up and pile up, maybe then the authorities, because like anything, unless a situation is brought to a head, nothing will be done. Thank you, Errol. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for Thank joining you. us. That's Dr. Errol Sweeney there, former national and international referee. He knows what he's talking about, I can tell you, about refereeing. Have you experienced in recent times or in the past of seeing, uh, have you been refereeing a game? Are you a referee? Have you been the butt of this abuse? Have you been on the sideline and been appalled by what you've seen? If you've anything to say about refereeing in general, across the codes, we love to hear from you. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text on our social media platforms, Instagram, WhatsApp, Twitter, Facebook. You can contact us there if you want to call. It's 1850-715-958. Up next imposter salmon in our rivers Inland Fisheries Ireland is appealing to anglers and the general public to be vigilant and report the presence of any Pacific pink salmon encountered in Irish rivers over the coming months I remember talking about this back in 2017 because they appeared in the rivers of Ireland, didn't hear much about it last year but it's back in the news today and to tell us more I'm joined on the line by Dr Cahill Gallagher, he's Head of Research and Development with Inland Fisheries Ireland. Cahill good afternoon Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for taking the call today. I do remember, I, I'm an angler myself, as Louise was probably telling you, uh, a couple of years ago, this raising its head. Are they back, and are they back in numbers? Yes, well, I, I, you're dead right. A couple of years ago, we had a major occurrence of uh, pink salmon coming into Irish rivers, but also it was a phenomenon seen all the way down from Norway through Scotland and into Ireland. And we, we, we think it's due to either escaped fish or populations that might have escaped up around the Koala Peninsula. And of course, these fish aren't native to the Atlantic at all. Their uh, original uh, home would have been the Pacific Ocean. So it's interesting, they turned up a couple of years ago, and their life cycle would allow them to enter the rivers, spawn, and then they have a two-year life cycle. So to some degree, we're being precautionary. We've heard rumours of them returning again to the rivers of Norway. 
and we're trying to understand if there's a population going to return to Irish rivers and we're asking for anglers and I suppose interested parties to help us in establish whether they're there or not and to report back to us if they are. Now our salmon is the uh, Atlantic salmon that's our native wild salmon that returns here and we were talking about this with Ken Whelan actually last week on the show on the, and the problems numbers down and this new disease yeah. but coming to the Pacific salmon are you saying to me that there's a possibility when they ran the rivers a couple of years ago that they spawned and those prodigy have gone to sea and will now come back to these rivers? It, it, it's quite possible and we have had some records of spawning I believe in Scotland in, in the rivers so yes what they do is they come back in they come back in between July and October enter the rivers spawn there and then their, their young appear um, maybe in late spring early summer and head back out to sea and then they head out to the estuaries to first, firstly and then out into the open ocean and, and then they have the capability to return again in two years so they have a two year life cycle really from when they enter into the rivers and back and that's why I suppose we're, we're at the second year now as you identified 2017 to now and we're really keeping an eye out to make sure we don't have a consistent problem here What's the worry? You know there are distinct species to the Atlantic salmon why are you concerned? So I, I suppose they are distinct and to, in some ways we're lucky because they have a different cycle in the rivers compared to spawning than our native fish. But however, like any invasive species, they can come with their own problem. They might perhaps carry disease that we don't know about. They would be in the rivers at the same time as our, our own adult returning um, salmon. Will they, will they be interfering with them? Will they be aggressive on so there's there's many concerns that could turn up, and certainly I, I don't think it's something we'd want um, as a as a new population entering our rivers as, as an invasive species, um, which which they are. They're quite different to the silver salmon, the Atlantic salmon, aren't they? They're easily identifiable. They, they are, and I suppose the the the. the the, the quick, if you look on our website, we do have an identification guide and it goes into some level of detail. But a quick one would be, you'll notice uh, that the spotting on the tails and you'll notice that they have really small scales compared to what would be used to in relation to salmon. And they're real key points. So if you do get, get one of those fish, if you're an angler, w- what we do is we ask you to, to take it out of the river and tag it like you normally would and then provide it to IFI and then IFI will return a tag so that you don't lose your, your tag for, for wild salmon. So yeah, they're, they're quite easily identified and you'll actually see some big humps and some as they start males start to mature you'll see them very different to Atlantic salmon. So take them dispatch them hold on to them get in touch with IFI because you want yes. to know. Yes and tag them I suppose that's the other yes. thing so, and then we'll return it so exactly that and if we get bodies returned to us we'd, we'd really appreciate that because we're, we're working with partners internationally to understand what exactly where these fish are coming from and also I suppose one of the concerns in the future is that uh, as the ice melts across the northern passage we want to make sure that we're able to monitor these species in case we do get Pacific salmon coming in naturally into the Atlantic Basin rather than in this case which we believe is escaped salmon from fish farms up around Russia. So we don't want them is that the bottom line We don't Carl? want them we don't want them <laughs> <laughs> and, and it'd be a shock and irony like if these came and multiplied on our native Atlantic we know the struggle there is there we talked about it here last week it would be shocking if one replaced the other wouldn't it really it, it certainly would and we, we all know about our native Atlantic salmon and how they've been in each individual catchment since the Ice Age. And we're all working very hard to try and make sure that we still have those populations back. Um, There is a problem, but, you know, we're all working to try and make sure that we have 
good stocks in all of the rivers that we have in salmon rivers and certainly we don't want to see Pacific salmon taken over, no. So even if the rivers are catch and release, which I know many are, including the Boyne here on our doorstep, yes. take these fish, take this take fish out. Fish, uh, dispatch them as you, as you correctly said and tag them and then return them to IFI. Thank you, Cahill, for joining us on the show today. No problem at all. Thank Appreciate you very much. It. Take care of yourself. That's Dr. Cahill Gallagher there, Head of Research and Development with Inland Fisheries Ireland. And just for anglers and people using the waterways and fishing, do go in and check out the uh, Inland Fisheries Ireland IFI website. The pictures are there. The warning is that you'll be able to easily identify the fish. I'm sure anglers know what they like anyway comp- uh, compared to the Atlantic salmon. But just to give you the numbers, if you come across them in any of our rivers here on the East Coast, and you just might, 1890-34-74-24, that's 1890 34 or 1890 fish 24 you can uh, get through there and leave the message I want to turn the clock back to 2015 on late lunch for the next while and I remember this day well because it was round the time of the Leaving Cert and it's just finishing up again at the moment that a young lady called Sarah O'Neill joined me in the studio her mum Sharon was with her as well And what a story she told us then. She'd just completed our Leaving Cert exams, but the year before, she was diagnosed with cancer. She'd gone through a very tough time. And despite missing lots of time at school, she sat the exams and was determined to sit them. And now we roll the clock on to today in 2019. And yes, they're back with me in studio and I'm delighted to welcome them again to Late Lunch. Sarah O'Neill and her mum Sharon is here. Great to see you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me again. <laughs> well, may I say you're lucky a million dollars. Thanks. <laughs> Let's go back to that time. Will you just remind listeners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't mean to bring you back to it, but yeah. so they'll just understand, mm-hmm. 2014, yeah. what happened to you? Um, so it was summer of fifth year and June and I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, so I was due to go into sixth year, but my treatment kind of meant that I missed a lot of school. i done six months of chemotherapy. Then I had surgery in the April of the next year. Then I sat my leave insert and done radiotherapy when I finished my leave insert. You're some woman for one woman, <laughs> let me say to you again. And like the way she just says that I had surgery, <laughs> that was a big operation. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It was a severe operation. Yeah. No, my mom, I remember mom was like, don't have it. And I was like, no, I, I want, because they were kind of seeing what was there. And I really wanted to have it to be sure with the going forward with the radiotherapy. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. You were against this, were you, Sharon? Yes. yes. You were saying, no, yeah. don't do the exam. No, don't do the operation. Don't do the yeah. operation either. <laughs> Why? It's a, such a serious operation. Her chest was completely open. And um, she was just, I just, I just didn't want it to do it. it w- that she was one of the hardest, enough. the hardest things yeah. the surgery was. Yeah. That was the only time we cried. Yeah. Oh, I did. Yeah. yeah. I was terrified. You. Yeah. Your yeah. mum cried the last day she was here with me. Yeah. I remember that well. The <laughs> yeah. emotion that day was palpable here in the studio. So you said no. And this woman said, yes. I'm getting this. I'm, I'm having the operation and I'm going to go on and do this exam as yes. well. Yeah. yeah. I must have been nuts. Like, I still (laughs) (laughs) No. I just kind of, like, I think I always have been, I just get on with things, like, Hmm. um, you know. Plus you wanted the cancer, were you? Yeah, like, I knew what I had to do to kind of get, I knew that I wasn't going to sit around and mope about what I was going to get. So when you had the removal done Mm -hmm. and that, they said to you, we've got everything, yes. When So they done the surgery and when they removed the, what was left of the tumour there was still cells there so I done the radiotherapy as like a 
precautionary that I wouldn't yes. return. Yeah. 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 And do you remind me, Ashley, what did they remove? Where was the tumour that they removed? It was in my chest. So, like, yeah, it was, like, pressing on my heart and lungs. So this was really serious stuff. Yeah, it was the size of a small watermelon, they said. Took it out. Yeah. Stitch it back up. Yeah. Did the treatment. Mm-hmm. Come on, you could have taken the summer off and said, oh, <laughs> to heck with that exam. <laughs> what? I knew, like, I knew that it, I wasn't, never, like, loved school. So I knew that if I didn't do my Leaving Cert that year, it would have been highly unlikely that I would have done it the following year. <laughs> you would have skived <laughs> yeah, off, wouldn't yeah, you? Yeah. And you wanted to do it. Yeah, I thought, like, it was kind of a distraction, I think. Mm. Um, you know, to feel normal. Yeah. Oh yeah, I missed that. Like my friends were going out and they were in school and you know doing all the, like your final year things, and I didn't really have that. So I think the leaving cert and like I think I went into school like six days. You know anything I could get could do that was normal. I tried to yeah. to still to get back yeah. into the into yeah. the run of things. Yeah. You know how disadvantaged you were going to be with all this time you missed. Yeah. And I know you might have done a bit of cramming and that mm. at the end. You realised that you were going in with a huge handicap oh, against you. Completely, yeah, yeah. I, I, I knew that, but like, I, I just kind of went down with it. Like, that's life. It. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. You know Smile for Sarah, this mm. famous campaign that you coined the name of and mm-hmm. the Facebook and all the followers you have. Mm-hmm. When did that start? Um, it was like ha- like in the middle of my treatment. Okay. Um, just kind of everybody, like a lot of people had been asking questions and, you know, were interested. And, you know, I think because I was so young as well. Um, so we kind of made the page just so that all the information was there in mm. one place. Like, yeah. What did that page mean to you? Um, we did, like, loads of people have kind of texts and said, you know, I don't really... Uh, like when I share my story I kind of just do it for other people and then I don't think about it but then when someone texts and says you know I, you've really helped I'm like oh have I? <laughs> that must be yeah. so good yeah. such a great feeling that mm-hmm. you inspire somebody else and give them that lift mm-hmm. when they're going through a journey similar yeah. to, to yours okay so you sit the exam summer's okay the treatment goes on and mm-hmm. finishes and how are you feeling coming up to the results what's your gut when you go down to do you remember going down to the school to collect the results and what happened I do, do I you do. come on Sharon tell I know, in my head I just in your head but, come yeah. on do you remember no <laughs> it's gone well, no I think I was like once I pass yeah. I just, yeah. I just wanted it. to pass yeah. so in you went yeah. and you did pass yeah I remember my vice principal handed it to me and I knew by the smile on her face that I had, I had done passed it. like so yeah, yeah that must have been another great feeling yeah. to say did yeah. it. Yeah. Fist pump in the air. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I was delighted. Now, after that then, you have to think about, what am I going to do? Mm. Do you feel, one thing I want to ask you, you did well on the points for the time, really well, mm. for the time that you had to put in. Do you reckon, Sharon, you answer this one for her, if she had full tilt at this, would she have got a lot more points? Definitely. Without That goes without saying. Yeah. She's okay. always worked hard. And- yeah. I, I know you have. So you have X number of points. Do you mm. want to tell them how many points you got? Oh, I said 250. I think it was like 245. Yeah, so. okay. Perfect. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. I'm not, like, I don't think anybody should be ashamed of what they got or, you know, you know. Keep saying it, yeah. girl. Keep saying it because I want to tell everybody yeah. that that's just finished their exams. Yeah. Points or what points yeah. are. Points. It doesn't make you the person. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Nothing. Yeah. And, and fair dues to the 600 mm. point people yes. and all that. Exactly, Great. yeah, Look, it's a, yeah. You know, it's a test of memory mm. and, and, and wonderful, etc. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a point in time. So you have these points. Mm-hmm. 
had you something in your mind that you wanted to do? Yeah, so I was sick and in hospital and then I was like, oh, I want to be a nurse. So I had never done science in school and I went and done a PLC um, and I loved the theory, but I found the placement and all the practical work quite um, stressing. Okay. Um, so I'd done the PLC. I loved the course, but then I was like, no. No nursing. <laughs> okay, so that showed you, and that's a good message as well. PLC courses mm-hmm. are wonderful. Yeah. They let you test yeah. the water yeah. and you can see yay mm-hmm. or nay for me. Yeah. So, okay, it's not for me, sadly, even though it was a, a dream of mine. So what do you do then? Um, there was a, it's a new, a newish course in DCU called Health and Society. Um, it's, I'd say health science. So I was doing research, um, I was doing nutrition, you know, reading uh, papers um, and then I had this I was doing science as well so each semester I was doing science so it was really theory based but really really interesting um, and that was, imp- go on important to say I just want to say I'll let you come back in a second that the PLC course aligned with your points got you into the full degree course yeah. in DCU that's very important to say yeah. isn't it yes. well it wasn't even my points it was my PLC okay on its own that was the key thing yeah there you go mm-hmm. right go on you, I, I um, jumped in there the course that I done was number 8 on my CAO all the rest were nursing and I had only kind of realised halfway through the summer that I didn't want to do nursing so I was like complete like landed in the course that I'd done you know, and I loved it. Isn't that... Completely accidental, like, yeah. <laughs> Ironic in a way. Mm. But so special that yeah. you arrived at something that you really, mm-hmm. really loved. Yeah. So you've been in DCU for what, many years? Three years. Three years now. Yeah. Course finished. Yeah. Graduated. Yeah. With? A first class honours. <laughs> Yeah. It's only one clap and do my best here for you, so I am, but I'm trying to magnify the, the thousands. I'm sure people are clapping at home. <laughs> they are clapping at home, yes. Sharon. Yes. They are clapping yes. at home because mm-hmm. this woman is inspirational. Yes. So you now have got the first class mm-hmm. honours with your qualification. Did you stay or, or commute to DCU? I commuted. Okay. Yeah. What was that like? Just interested to find out. Was it all right? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, my course was uh, like short enough hours. Okay. So, it, so it suited you perfect. Yeah. yeah. Back to your health and mm-hmm. that, that situation. Obviously, from the operation and the follow-up mm-hmm. treatment and everything, they keep a good eye on you, yes? Yeah. How yeah. often are you seen? Um, every six months. Is that a burden or something you like? Um, no, I like it. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, if I have something, like there, there, there would be things that, you know, would come up, say a pain, or if I felt a certain way that I like going in and kind of saying it. Um, Do you worry when something like that happens? All the time. All the time. Mammy Sharon is nodding. That's what I don't tell her. Mad here. Is that is that a real worry for you? Hundred percent. Every day, still. Yeah. Still, even at this yes, stage. Yes. And I think you don't. People think once once treatment is over, it's over. But yeah. It's yeah. good to be checked every mm-hmm. six months, isn't yeah. it? Very, very yeah. important as well. And everything has been hunky dory. Each. Are you apprehensive, Mum, when the checkup comes round each time? Yes. Yes. I do have to sit there with my hands <laughs> under my knee and my mouth shut. I'm not allowed to talk. But that feeling is there and such relief, I'm sure, mm. <laughs> each time you come out. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm. Are you on any ongoing medication since you had no. the operation and no. the follow-up treatment? Nothing at no. all? No. And you feel good within yourself, yes? Yeah. yeah. Really good? Yeah. I look after myself. <laughs> do you eat and exercise and do all the things that's recommended? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And feel that's very important. Oh, obviously. completely. Yeah. 
And they advise you of this. They tell you of this. They told you this. Um, no, no, it was more so my course. Yeah. Oh, so back to this again. Yeah, it kind of all links in. Um, I think my course really gave me a holistic view of kind of health and illness and, like, you know, mm. your your lifestyle. Mm. She's doing a PT course now. Come on, there's more. Yes. There's more from yes. this first class honours degree <laughs> student from DCU. Back in college, yes. Yeah, so I'm doing personal training, fitness instruction. Um, I would like to eventually kind of specialise in people with chronic illnesses. Um, and yeah, that's your place My where you're headed for yeah. now. That's your long term yeah. goal. Yeah. How long will this course be for? It's only like to become. A PT, it will only be eight weeks. Oh, grand. So yeah, it's, it's kind an of, add-on. Yeah, yeah, full on, yeah. To what you've done yeah. already. Like, I've been back in the gym now about two and a half years. So... What do you mean by back in the gym? Working or training? Training. Yourself? Yeah. yeah. Where do you see yourself working? Do you, do you have a vision of where would you like to work? Who would you like to work with? What would you like to do? I'd like my own place. Um, you know, um, smile with Sarah. <laughs> That's what I'm Work trying out. to think. Yeah, yeah. Smile with Sarah. <laughs> Change the four. Yeah, I think just like with exercise, kind of goes into you know being healthy, having a healthy life. It's not kind of punishing yourself for having something. Like life is all about balance. I think I've learned that. Like it's too life's too short to kind of stress about what you look like what you, uh, you know all the things that people are doing you know I go to the gym because I like how it makes me feel I eat well because I feel well when I do and I still like having chocolate and stuff at the end Why of the not? as well yeah. you have to have your little treats mm-hmm. and when you have everything in balance like that it's a great way to be and, yeah and I know that at least I'm in control of something you know I'm I'm working out I'm you know eating well I'm f- like trying to do the best for myself mm. and your body yeah and my body yeah do you take a tipple at all I do, yeah, of course she, I do. Does she, Mammy? Not really. Yeah. I make up for both. I, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not really into it. Like, well, I would kind of the odd time. I wouldn't say, like, I'm you don't never. Yeah, 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 yeah. Will you talk to Sharon when you leave here, will you? She needs, to, <laughs> she needs a bit of talking to her. She oh, to tell me she that. hates. It's so mad. We're, like, complete opposites. <laughs> Are completely you? Yeah, Are you gym. really? Yeah. yeah, she hates the gym. She said she'd rather go through labour. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's like I don't know what you're talking about girls but I'm laughing here what am I laughing at how so do I, I know I have my work cut out for me you do yeah, indeed yeah. but you complement each other mm-hmm. as well may I say yeah. you know in, in, in that you're different but you do you, mm-hmm. I can see that you must be so proud of her are you don't start me crying <laughs> I don't want to but you, no. you must feel like that you know look. I'm in awe of her every day hmm. I just I don't know where or how or I don't know how she she makes me want to be a better person mm. she makes me want to excel she just makes she just gives me my life she's my life you to have <laughs> me crying now in a minute never mind yourself no, she's just amazing she just how she does it I just don't know she really I just I would have gave up I think because you have to your mum mm. understands mm-hmm it was bleak at one stage. Yeah. Everybody was really worried. Yeah. yeah, it was near death. Except for me, I think. Yeah. I didn't see it, yeah. At all, ever? No, well, I think in the last few years, I kind of look back now and go, or, you know, like you said, if I get pain, I go, I go right back to that place that it could, it could go like that. So I think that's why I look after myself. And every day is important to you. You know, we yeah. say that as a cliche and you no. meet people that say that. You really uh, live that every day. Yeah. Even like going into college, you know, people are like, oh, I can't believe I'm in here. I'm like, do you know how lucky you are just to go to college? 
Yeah, it's mad. Because we know what it's like to sit in a hospital and not know what the outcome. Yeah. Day after day after day. So I'm just glad every morning I wake up that I'm not in that place again. Mm-hmm. And we all get up in the morning and we take everything for granted and yes. we rattle along and we don't think until something like this comes along and bang, yeah. stops you in your tracks. Mm-hmm. It's a real lesson for everybody, isn't it, in yeah. this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't sweat the small things. No. Forget about them. Yeah. They are small things. Mm-hmm. They're Completely. transient. Yeah. Yeah. You two have it, Sus. Do you know that? <laughs> you really do. And we still have our bad days, but we try our best. Of course. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Oh, God. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But I know I'm, I, I'm well tuned into her. And she, I wouldn't say she probably tells me half. <laughs> but I know when she's down and I know why. And I. She can spend, get it out of me. When we spend time together, we work it out. Mm. Mm. You're a great team. Yeah. <laughs> You're an only daughter, are you? Yes. yes. Oh, so yeah. look, you know. Only girl. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you can see it is right. <laughs> but don't you deserve to be yes. spoiled? May I say that? You certainly do. Mm-hmm. I'm Every, so looking forward. Go on, are we going to say Every something? child does. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Every yeah. child does. Mm. And health is everything. Mm. Yeah. Health yes. is everything. You can, yeah. when that breaks in life, mm-hmm. everything goes out the window. Mm-hmm. And I know it's hard and life goes on and things have to get done and that, but we should keep that to the fore of our yeah. consciousness all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. You are fantastic. Mm. You really are. And I was so looking forward when oh. Louise told me <laughs> that you were coming back with your mum today. I said, I remember that day well. I do remember Thanks. it well. And it's great to catch up. Yeah. And it's a wonderful, wonderful positive story. And there's a real message in your story as yeah. well. Mm. Yeah. You'll fly, girl. You know that? <laughs> you will fly no matter what you do and no Thanks. matter where life takes you. And mm-hmm. it's taking you to exciting places now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. This has been a, a real pleasure to Thanks, invite you back to Late Lunch. And mm-hmm. Please, God, we'll see you again down the road. But for yes. the moment, the wonderful smile for Sarah. Remember it? Check it out. It's still going there as well. Sarah O'Neill and her mum, Sharon, have been with us. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very Thank much. You. Wish you health and happiness. Same to you. <laughs> I've arrived in St. Paul's National School, Walchestown, this morning. And I'm here for a very special reason. You may recall on Late Lunch a, a couple of months back... I'll tell you, it was one day I remember from 2019 forever because a robot came visiting to the show. Yes, Milo joined me, but more importantly, Candice was with him as well, Candice Lafleur, and she told us all about the potential applications of the robot in life, in particular at that stage towards the senior citizen category and helping people with dementia. But this is a world away. I'm in a primary school, St. Paul's in Walchestown today, with the children from 5th and 6th class. Candice, if I could begin with yourself for a start. This is some leap in terms of the application of this robot of yours. It is. um, And and thank you again for having us. It's lovely to be back. But the school itself has been fantastic in helping us to test the robots and we were thinking that every time a kid seems to meet Milo, they're more comfortable with the tech than we are. So we put 10 of them into Walshestown School and the year fives and sixes, they just went wild with it and saw and kind of pushed the robots to the limits of what they could do in their own way of how they understand tech quite naturally now. It's been fantastic for us as a learning experience. Practically speaking, 
What have they been doing with the Milos? And there's 10 of them here. We're surrounded by them here this morning. Yeah, there's a lot. You've got to kind of watch where you step right now. Um, there, there's kind of robots everywhere, and I'm so sorry about that. Um, the kids have been testing each function for us. So they've been, we, we came in and we gave the kids a talk on how apps are developed, how functions are developed based on user stories, and then adapting coding to a user story. So the kids have been going through every function that Milo has and testing them, making sure that they're working properly, making up their own user stories and then testing the robots against that which has been fascinating for us because they're getting ideas and thoughts that we never would have they're smart children in Walchestown National School for sure and of course the school have some wonderful teachers here and I'm going to talk now to the principal Anne-Marie Swinburne Anne-Marie will you tell us you know the chicken and egg scenario which came first did you approach Candice or what happened how did this work well, we'd heard about Milo and Candice had brought him in to show the children there early in the year and it was magnificent. She brought him all around to all the classes and they had loads of questions. They were really curious about how he works and what what he, he can do. So when Candice approached me, I was thrilled. I suppose as educators, we're aware that education is kind of moving towards focusing on STEM. So when this opportunity came up for the children, we were thrilled and delighted. This project in particular the fifth and sixth classes and Rebecca Hand one of your teachers has been the lead on this. She has indeed yes she took it and she ran with it. Now I have to say we are very lucky here in St Paul's National School we have two teachers Mrs Halpin and Miss Hand who champion computer literacy to all the children here. We had a project to follow and it was very structured for us here and uh, the children just ran with it. They, They just ran wild with it they loved it. What do you think this will mean, you know, to these children today, tomorrow, and as they move on from your school into the next level of education? Well, I think it's, it's opened all of our minds uh, to the wonderful possibilities of science and what, what it does for us. It's not on a, on a page anymore. It's not a dull lesson on a page. This is what science is. This is the future. This is where it's going. We were so lucky to have the opportunity for the children to to use the Milos. I, I, I think I'm right in saying that the ch- these are the first children to have AI robots and to work with them and experiment with them and see what they can do and code for them. It was wonderful, really wonderful. The first, this is groundbreaking in terms of Loud Mead Ireland. Um, actually, I think worldwide, they're the first kids to be working in a primary school with active artificial intelligence robots and seeing how you can make your theoretical learning of STEM into a practical application of real problem solving. So they're definitely the first kids I've ever heard of to be working with robots like this. And you're talking about children 10, 11, that, that age group as well. So important to get at this from the earliest age. Absolutely. The earlier they're interested in it and the earlier they can see the practical application of it, like how things actually work and how things actually look, the more interest they'll have in learning about that later on. Um, It's fantastic. The type of questions that the kids have been asking us about how the 3D cameras work and triangulation. And I was like, wow, I was so impressed with how much they already knew and how much they're now starting to apply. It's been fantastic. Time to talk to the students. So Milo has arrived here in Walchestown, St. Paul's, and he's been switched on. He's booted up. They've gone through the process here of getting him organised. Candine McKeever has booted Milo up, and I see all the displays have come up here on the screen. You were a little worried that he hadn't got power for a moment. Yeah, but at least he did. Yes, he has. How how much power has he? 52%. Will that be enough for us for the next while, yes? Yeah, 
Just explain to listeners what you were doing at Milo there. So I turned Milo on and then I had to make sure he had internet connection or he won't work properly. So I just made sure that he was connected to the school internet so he would work properly. Okay, so the interface on this I've just been looking there is similar to what you would have on a mobile phone or a computer. Yeah. And what are the main applications that you've been using? Uh, Mostly settings and then the CRS system on it. And then that's all you really have to use on it. Okay, and I saw a photograph coming up there of some students in the school. What was that about? Uh, so you're able to take a picture on it and you can change to your wallpaper to whatever you want. What, what do you make of Milo? He's really fun and nice. And Is I he? like him. Yeah. You love him? Yeah. Will you miss him when he's gone? Yeah, definitely. Oh, no. Oh, big oh, that's terrible. <laughs> but sure, look, all good things have to come to an end. But what has, it, what has Milo done for you? What, what, what has he taught you? What has he brought to you? It helps to use computers and expand knowledge of how to use computers. Really? And, and it does that because, you know, there are many ways of doing this, but you think this fella, Milo, has been extra special in that, has he? Yeah, in terms of helping older people with dementia and in nursing homes and things like that as well, yeah. Okay, you've seen that application of it as well. What does Milo mean and do you know why they chose that name? Uh, they chose the name as it could be used globally and it resembles hello and it's very close to hello. And who was Milo, do you believe, invented for? Or what's the application, the many applications? He was invented for people who have dementia and Alzheimer's to stay safer in their own homes for longer and they can remind people of different things that they need to do throughout the day, like drink more water, take their medication, who's coming throughout the day, if they're having any visitors and... Has it been educational for you in that aspect of things? Because you're all youngsters here, fifth and sixth class, with all your lives ahead of you. But thinking about people who are older and need assistance. Yeah, because a lot of us have grandparents that have um, dementia and stuff. So we think it'd be nice to have them to help them as well. What's this man's name? My name is Senan Judge. Tell me about this project for the last number of weeks from your point of view, Senan. What's it been like? Very fun. So we got to try out new things with robots that we never tried before. You're very familiar with mobile phones and computers, desktop, uh, laptop, you name it as well. What's different about this, Flo? What's different about Milo? That it helps old people with dementia and different types of disabilities, that they can help them. And and other mobile phones don't do that. Okay, so so that's the big advantage of Milo. Do you like the robot concept that we're looking at there that can move about and look at you and has eyes and interaction? Yes, Eventually, it will become a more bigger thing, so it'll go around the world. It will be brilliant for people with disabilities. Good man yourself, Senan. Well said, well spoken indeed. Kate McMahon, and you're ready to talk to me about Milo today. Specifically, Kate, for you, what function did you have to test, and what examples did other students here test as well? Well, my group tested uh, visitation and uh, reminders, and other... Uh, groups uh, tested voice control, video calling, remote controlling, medication appointments and reminders and time and date settings. When Candice came and gave the presentation with our team as well, how did you feel about that? Were you intrigued? Were you looking forward to working with Milo? And the Milos, the 10 of them, of course. Yeah, I was really excited and I was pretty sure everybody else was as well. Do you realise that you are the first school in the world to work with robots and robotics like this? 
Yeah, it's really cool. Isn't it cool in rural County Louth and Walshistown that you're setting the trend in the world? Yeah. And you'll always be able to say that forever. Yep. Okay, so it's been good. The programme has been really good. You've enjoyed it? Yeah, a lot. Fantastic stuff. Another man waiting to have a chat with me. Who's this? Connor, Dad. Connor, good man yourself. What about this? What about your take on this? What do you feel about it? How are you feeling today as the programme is coming to an end? Well, to be the first in the world to do it is pretty unbelievable, but hopefully they're helping us when we're older as well. Can you now see how Milo in a home can really help? Yeah, I think it can help as well with just things like if they get out to go shopping in the middle of the night, it can easily just tell them it's not time to go shopping and things like that, just to to help them remember things that we would remember very easily. Yes, very true and very important as well. Hey, would you like to have a Milo in your own house? I think it would be pretty cool as well to have it in my house, but yeah, especially if to help older people in families as well and other people's houses as well, it would be great. That's the serious part of it, of course. Tell me this, do you think Milo could help you do your homework? No, unfortunately he doesn't have hands, so (laughs) it'd be hard. (laughs) It'd be difficult. I wish he could. Anyway. Yeah, of course, we'd all wish he could. Isn't it fantastic? Well, listen, thank you all for having a word. We really do appreciate it. And I know these are just representatives of the greater group. Yes, they are. These are, these are four. Uh, there was a class of 27 or eight that did it, yeah. Okay, so these are the four that have been nominated to have a chat with us today. It's different, isn't it? It's certainly uh, something new and special. Yes, but we have to, as educators, that's what we have to look at. The world is changing. Education has to go with it. Mm. Schools have to move along with it. So, Anne-Marie, you're very happy that Candice came to you and that you're the pioneering school for this here at St. Paul's in Walchester. I am. I'm very happy that the children got this opportunity. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, thank you very much for coming in no, and visiting us here and seeing what we're doing and all about. Only delighted to be here to see this because this is unique and special. So this project in Walchester, the, the uh, year, the uh, academic year here, coming to an end as well uh, as we speak this very week, um, do you believe that from your point of view, from your business point of view, that this is the start of uh, this application rolling out you know, here to other schools in the region and in the country? I would love to. The more we can get kids and families and communities engaged with robotics, the better for everybody. I think there's some incredible ideas. Like the students said, a lot of my own staff came from this area, came from Walshestown, and the more they can engage in it at an early age, the better we're all going to be. So absolutely. And again, it's back to what we originally spoke about on Late Lunch when you joined me first and caused that furore of excitement in the radio (laughs) studios. The real thing about this is that it's a huge assist people who need help in their homes and keeping people in their homes and well and healthy and connected people of an age. Absolutely. It's it's time that we start using tech to our advantage. And rather than waiting for the large tech companies to make things for us, it's time to start making things ourselves and engaging with local students, communities, schools, local partners. It's the way to do that. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, as, as much as we can, we'd love to work with anyone here. Thank you, Candice Lafleur. Thank you to everybody in Walshistown St. Paul's National School for inviting us here as well. And the best of luck to you. Fabulous. Thank you so much. 
Don't we just love talking about the weather in Ireland? I think I greet people most mornings. Louise will probably confirm this later when I come in about the weather every day. We talk about the weather. We use it as a way in to engage with people, I think, all over the place. It's just us. And I suppose it's to do with being an island nation off the coast of Europe with changeable weather. I think all that is part of it as well. We're farming people. We love the outdoor life. But hey, where is the summer? Last summer, 2018, we'll never forget it, will we? And everyone said, oh, this is it. We're all set fair for summers like this forevermore. You must be joking. Anyway, where is summer 2019? Is this the heat wave that's coming over the next few days, the start of the long, hot summer? Well, we're going to find out now because I'm joined on the line by Harm Lokes. He's a meteorologist with Medair. And Harm, good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. How are you? Well, tell us. Come on, give us the good news. It's about to kick off, Harm. (laughs) <laughs> I think it's quite good news, yeah, yeah. I mean, the last few days you, you might have ex- felt that it was getting a bit warmer already. And uh, the weather's have been a little bit disappointing that it's, it's quite cloudy due the day, but you can feel that the, the air is already warming up and it's going to warm up a, a bit more the next coming days. And the good news is that high pressures come come closer to Ireland, which means that the clouds should, uh, should dissolve and we should see more sunshine for tomorrow um, Thursday and also on Friday and with that temperatures are going to rise further in the low 20s and maybe mid 20s but um, there's a bit of reservation here I have to say for Louth and Meath because the winds are going to turn easterly coming from the sea which means it will be cooler along the coast with temperatures like say 17, 18, 19 degrees but with the help of sunshine that should still feel uh, very pleasant. We should count our blessings, Harm. It's a little bit of coolness and we won't overheat. Don't knock it, don't knock it too much. It's good enough for us, I have to say. I'd say because a lot of people in Europe will probably overheat with temperatures between yes. 35 and 40 and we don't want that, so this is probably better. It's much better because that European scenario, when you talk about 40 degrees centigrade, it's really unbearable, Harm, isn't it, at that stage? That's unbearable. That's the good thing about the Irish climate, that, uh, although people complain a lot about it. We will never get that heat because we're surrounded by water, and the water will always cool down any heat coming from the continent. So in this case, that's a good thing. It is, and I was in Verona recently in a shop with a, with a ladies who were serving me there, and they were saying that with them, when this comes summertime, really life becomes difficult for them. It's, it's, it's not easy to get by with such intense heat. That's right, siestas in the afternoon and all that. Mm. But um, no, uh, it's, looking, it's looking pretty good for, for the coming days, uh, weather-wise. And there, there is a bit of a breakdown then on Saturday as the, as the warm air is going to be moved away and replaced by cooler and fresher air. But having said that, on the, on the, on the further outlook for, for next week, it looks like high pressure might build again and we're in for more, uh, more dry and sunny weather if that, if that happens. So it's, it's even for the longer, longer future, as far as we can look, we can't look much further than about a week or a week or two. Yeah. It's looking pretty good. That's great news. But come back to last year, it's once in a decade type of summer, wasn't it? In reality, for a country like ours. Yeah, yeah that is exceptional. That's not going to happen every year. And once in a decade, probably roughly will be it, um, that you have that warm weather. The temperatures reached 30 degrees last year in some places in the West. And even with the coming days now, we did the highs we're going to expect is 25 or 26 in, in some inland parts, not, not, not going that to those temperatures. And that was a uh, unique Harm, while you're with me, I have two beds of potatoes and I, I lifted a stalk of them last night for my dinner and they're just lovely at the minute. Would I be advised to spray for blight? Um, 
I don't think so because uh, a blight is more a danger when it's kind of drizzly and misty yes. all day. And so the humidity will be high, and especially in the, at nighttime they'll be high, but then it, it will all dry out during the day with the, with the warmth and the sunshine. So I think that uh, that you should be all right. Okay. It's more when it's drizzly and, and yeah. mild and humid all the time. That yeah. That it will be favourable for potato blight. So. Well, I don't want to spray it. You know, I, I really yeah, try no, to... I don't think you need I'm organic, <laughs> I, I, okay. nearly 100%, and I want to keep away from it. So that's yeah. good news anyway. I can leave them be. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Great. So listen, uh, decent prospect ahead into the weekend and beyond next week with the high pressure and fingers yeah. crossed for July and August that'll bring more sunshine and heat than the other stuff. That's all we can do, yeah. Thank you, Harm. Okay, you're Nice welcome. to talk to you today. Yeah. Take care of yourself. That's Harm Locks there, Medairn meteorologist, and that's the latest on the weather front. They can't tell too far ahead. What about the Donegal postman, Louise? Any word? I haven't heard from him in recent weeks. He's gone to ground. <laughs> He did say the summer was coming, so maybe he's right. Uh, he's gone to ground. I think he sticks his finger in the air and makes up his mind. <laughs> maybe just checks Matt Aaron every oh, morning before he gets Lord, up. Oh, don't I laugh at that stuff when I hear it. Let me read a comment to you. Um, Errol Sweeney with us, uh, referee at the top of the show about the abuse of referees. Quite comprehensive one here from a listener. It says, Hi Jerry, listen with interest to that referee and his opinions on refereeing. I want to say I fully endorse what he has said about referee abuse. I was one of those people. Just a few points. Respect is a two-way street and whether they like it or not they cannot just demand it because they have a uniform. They will get and are entitled to respect for that but the most comes from their game manner, demeanour and their ability to communicate. Many of them feel they are never wrong and what would you know? They also have to realise that for players and managers who train twice a week, pay membership and weekly subs to pay the same referees, Uh, They've also invested in the game. Referees do not have a monopoly on this. Many referees are arrogant and refuse to treat players in a suitable manner. Also, I can tell you for a fact that some of their membership are not slow to greet players on the field with obscenities and tell them that their team is no use. Respect, Jerry. They also give the impression that they are the most important person on the pitch and the other 22 don't matter. One referee quit last week, which is sad and unfortunate and not welcome. One out of how many, I ask. Thank you indeed for your comment on that one. Uh, Another one there says, We welcome all immigrants, wild birds who can cause serious problems for free-range poultry and egg producers and rare breeds not native to our country. So why single out salmon, says a listener. Yet we were talking about the Pacific salmon uh, coming into Irish rivers there and a listener making that point about wild boards and other species. But look at... You heard what the the uh, Dr. Cahill Gallagher had to say to us uh, said to us earlier on there. Don't want the Pacific salmon really, as they are non-native and invasive. We want the Atlantic salmon to prosper. But thanks indeed for your comments. Uh, hey, uh, the uh, festival Hinterland Festival in Kells coming up this weekend. The question today was. Uh, Jim Fitzpatrick designed album covers for Thin Lizzy, the Irish legendary rock band. Who was the lead singer? It was Phil Linnett. And I have a pair of tickets for Saturday to go and see uh, the wonderful man himself, Jim Fitzpatrick, at the Hinterland Festival. And they're going to Betty Goff in Gehenstown, Delvin, this afternoon. Betty, well done to you. You'll enjoy that and we'll be in touch after the show to make the arrangements. Let's head to news and sport at three. 
Want to mention a guest I interviewed on Late Lunch some time back, Hannah Rose May. She's doing great in the United States. She's from County Me, and then she came in with her mum to have a chat with me. What fun we had. Well, she's just been named as one of the new faces of guest clothing. And this is a big announcement for that young lady. It really is. I want to say congratulations to her. Well done, well deserved. And we'll see you in August. Yes, she's coming in for a chat with us on Late Lunch when she's home from the States in August. Uh, Sean O'Mahony's hosts the Paddy Cheshire Memorial 5K at 7 o'clock this Saturday, June 29th, and it's preceded by the juvenile sponsored walk down the Navy Bank at half past four. And the race and registration uh, night and race number collection is happening in their clubhouse this Thursday from 6 to 8 o'clock and 15 euro is the cost of partaking in that wonderful event there. Uh, Dundalk Wheel, Meals on Wheels, they're looking for people to volunteer, looking for cooks and drivers. Uh, meals are cooked and delivered. It's a wonderful service, Monday, Wednesday and Saturday in the town and volunteers are needed, of course, to work on a rotor basis to keep it going. If you're interested, give them a shout. Dundalk Social Service Council 042 Nine double three two eight four eight, or you can email them at DLK Social Service Council at Outlook. Dot IE. And something else, end of exam time coming up. Yes, the Solid Rock Church on the Ballamakenny Road in Drogheda are holding a gravity ball. Yes, a gravity ball on the 28th of June. That's this coming weekend as well. A seven o'clock start there. And they want you to dress up and come along and whatever you want. They're having fun, a bit of food there, and it's only a fiver in. So that's the gravity ball this Friday, the 28th of June, at the Solid Rock Church on Ballamakenny Road in Drogheda, seven to ten. If you're between 13 and 18, you're very welcome to attend. I read that comment a little earlier on, a comprehensive comment about the refereeing. And what happened was I didn't catch the end of it because it didn't come in for a few minutes until after I read the different parts of it. And just to finish it off, the listener who sent us in that message was saying, yes, it is uh, the North East County League. I understand that. That's just a difference in term there as well. Um and it said that they've been involved with soccer for over 50 years in Ireland at all levels, never looked for a penny for it. It's a game I love and want to progress at all levels. Don't we all want soccer to progress at all levels? Starting with the Football Association of Ireland and at their AGM this July in County Meath, when we expect that the board of the FAI, N Block, will step down and go. And that would be a great start for soccer in Ireland if that were to happen because they have been part and parcel and complicit in what has happened at the FAI for years now. So that would be a good thing just to build on that comment there if they all stepped down and we had a complete new beginning and a route of the place and a rebuilding with fresh faces new people that will run the place properly and be accountable and give us a game of soccer and a sport in Ireland that the people like yourself who's involved in it for years and give of their time, deserve. Late lunch, LMFM radio on Tuesday afternoon. Up next on the show, I'm going to find out what Twitter trash is all about. In case you didn't know it, this month is Pride Month and Connector, who are an innovation studio, have partnered with Greyhound Recycling and developed an online tool called the bin of old behaviours. I'm joined on the line by Susie Dickinson, who's a producer with Connector. Afternoon, Susie. Hi, Jerry. How are you? I'm great. God, that is an upbeat woman, I have to say. I love it. We're away to a fine start here. Tell us about this. What is this bin of old behaviours all about? Yes, 
so um, I work for a company called Connector, and we're an innovation studio based in Temple Bar. So each year we do something for Pride just because we have members of our team which are in the LGBT community. Um, and so this year we teamed up with Greyhound for the Bin of All Behaviours, and we created the concept around cancel culture. I don't know if you've heard about it or not, but cancel culture is where people go through old t- tweets from celebrities from years and years ago. We're talking like 10 years when they were very young and, you know, weren't as knowledgeable on political views as they are now, um, where they could have used like a racial slur or something controversial like that. And people are holding them accountable now for the opinions that they had 10 years ago, even though they don't reflect who they are now. So the bin of all behaviours is just a tool which allows people to say, okay, I posted this 10 years ago, but this does not reflect who I am now. I'm very much an ally and that's not me anymore. But it it allows you to own up to the behaviour and accept that, yes, that was me but it's not anymore. I like this. I really like it. I think it's something very, very important because we do say things and do things in our younger lives at any stage of our lives that we we do regret in in hindsight and with reflection. And why should that be held against us forevermore? I take it it doesn't actually remove the post or whatever or what was said. No. Well, what it does is it will give you the option. It, It... So you sign in via your Twitter account and it will review all your tweets that you ever wrote ever. Um, And it will, through keywords, it will identify the ones that could be homophobic and it will give you the option to delete them, but you can't just delete them. You have to post a tweet that features the tweet that you want to delete it and say, this is what I posted, but I'm not like this anymore. And then it will also link to a website which gives you tips on how to be a better ally to the LGBT community. Okay, so it, it can ultimately remove it, but there's a way of doing it and a process you must follow. Yeah, because we don't want people to just hide that this is who yeah. they were, because, you know, that's still problematic. Then we want people to own up and accept that this is, they did do this, but also admit that that's not who they are anymore. Okay, because I know in life, uh, people often say, oh, that was your opinion and you have to be like that forever. That's not the case. We live and learn and we mature and we change our opinions, which we're all entitled to do. Exactly. And, you know, people, Twitter has been around for so long now that people were teenagers when they set them up and, you know, they posted some stupid things. I know that I did, but I don't agree with what I posted 10 years ago now just because I'm that little bit more educated on on life that I know it's wrong now. Is it only applicable to Twitter? Right now, yeah, but we're looking at getting the APIs and stuff to work on Facebook and Instagram and stuff. My God, you have a a trove of work ahead of you when you break into those areas. You know that yourself anyway. Yeah, we do, but we're, we're, we're prepared for it. Yeah, and I I, I say again, this is is something that's important at this time. What's been the take-up of the reaction to it? Um, It's been very positive all around. We've had uh, a good few people actually use the tool and, you know, own up to past behaviours. But yeah, it's been very positive so far. Uh, I, I ain't surprised at that. And this is all to tie in with this particular time in the year. Who came up with the concept? Where is this? Have you developed this in-house yourselves there? Yeah, we did. We uh, we did it all in-house and then we teamed up with Greyhound, um, who are a recycling company. You know, it ties into the binning of their yes. behaviours and stuff. I love the name, the bin of old behaviours. It really rings, doesn't it? It is a lovely... It flows off the lips uh, when, when, when you say it. Um, tell us a little bit about yourselves and the company you work for there, Connector. A young company? 
Yeah, we're um, the company itself is about ten years old, but um, there's about ten ten or so people working here, and we're a very young company. It's a startup environment. Um, we work for a bunch of different brands. We do both online and offline campaigns, but we we really thrive in online campaigns, and um, it's where this fit stuff like this we we come up with quite a lot. Mm. Um, yeah, we're very innovative. It's a it's a fun place to work. <laughs> I'm sure it is, and innovative and exciting to go into every day. Back to the the point of our discussion here and the, uh, the bin of old behaviours. Is it generally uh, people of an age, a younger age, who have now moved on in their lives, are the majority who you're targeting here? I think that's the majority, but there is also the older people, you know, who, again, yeah. have become more knowledgeable on the matters and don't agree with what they thought maybe 10, 20 years ago. Because even, like, I'm only 24, so I can only speak for, you know, 10 years ago. But it was, I think things were even worse, and you could get away with saying a lot worse things 20, 30 years ago. Mm. Um, so it can be used across for everyone. Yeah, everybody and has many applications and uh, I'm sure to expand it out into those other social media platforms uh, is a great opportunity for yourselves there. So just remind listeners again how they can find out more about this or go in and access it. Sure, so you just go into www.binofoldbehaviors.com and sign in via your Twitter account and it will do, you, you can just go from there, it will give you all the instructions as to how to post a tweet. It, it pretty much does it automatically, there's not much um, that you have to do apart from sign in. Okay, great stuff. Wish you well, exciting times at Connector and teaming up at Greyhound as you mentioned, the bin of old behaviours, I really do like it. Thank you for talking to me today on the show, Susie. Thanks a million, Jerry. Not at all. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye bye. That's Susie Dickinson there, who's a producer with Connector. And I, I know, and <laughs> I'm sure many people say and do things in life besides on social media that you'd say to, oh my God, I wish I could roll back the clock. You like this, Louise. I do, I love it. But mm. I just wish it would, could be rolled out in other forms, yeah, I which know. will be down the Yeah, down and the I, I think they will. They're, they're working towards that as well, because I suppose going back, Facebook is probably the original of the, the current platforms. You know, and the oldest there, you have Instagram as well, mm. WhatsApp now more recently. And Although I think if you're going to make a mistake, you're probably going to make it on a tweet. Mm. In in terms of regret to, to say something I'd rather say than a Facebook yeah, post. Yeah, and it says a lot of people g- get angry. You know the way we are talking about the refereeing earlier on there and uh, we've had a lot of reaction to that, I can tell you as well. Um, you know, when in the heat of the moment, you know when you do something or maybe you're angry at someone or something and you go in and just post and let it rip or you come in after a, a few pints at night or things like that and you, you do things. You should be allowed roll back, shouldn't you? Really? Like you, well, you, you can go in and delete. Can you not delete? Really? Can you delete your tweet? Is mm, it not gone then? I don't know. You see, I think unless somebody a, has taken a screenshot. Well, that's it. You know what I mean? If people grab things and they're away with them, then and it is there, and that imprint seems to remain there forever. But the the, the, the thing I want to say is that you are allowed to have a different opinion in life and change your opinion. Oh, and have absolutely. a considered yeah, view. You're not, it's not going to You be. know, some people say you're pinned for something that you did and it'll be which forever. No, I'm not saying. If you do something grievous or commit a crime or that, that can never be expunged. But an opinion on something, a view, say something, use words. But Jerry, there's an opinion and that's absolutely perfect and everybody has the Yes. Right. But in Twitter, there's a lot of nasty comments, which is 
not an opinion. It's just mm. being nasty for the mm. sake of being nasty. Yeah, and it's too easy to, to be. get we, a reaction. Isn't it? And we were talking about this and yeah. hiding the keyboard warriors, hiding behind that and saying things and... Uh, you know, they're not nice. I was actually looking at something last night that, and somebody in the area here was getting a pasting uh, for something they offered to do and I just thought it was a bit unfair as well. But look... Why don't they pick up the phone to these people? Yeah, and and, and say it. You know what I mean? Don't hide behind it and, and do it face to face. But look, it's part of this online world that we live in. And it is. Nobody's communicating to each mm. other. They just communicate to everybody else about you. <laughs> yeah. Online. Yeah. yeah, we're going to pay the price for that long term. You know, a, a generation I'll send of people. you a note later if you want a cup of tea. <laughs> I'll treat I you. do want a cup of tea. You needn't <laughs> treat me and send me a note. Let's go and do it. Time to leave here this afternoon. Hope you have a... Get ice cream tomorrow, Jerry. Will it? Uh, let's hope so. An ice cream. Well, with the, you know, hot weather. Have oh, yes, tea. yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. You're on. You're on. I, I hear what you're saying. I'll, I'll look after that. Don't worry. I will. I promise you tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, how, go and have a lovely evening. Enjoy your Tuesday. Come back and join us tomorrow again for another late lunch from one thirty. Eddie's up next with the drive and we'll leave you with the weather set to sizzle in Europe and be warm in Ireland. Picture house to say goodbye and sunbar. See you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.